We started a series uh, last week called Summer Sound Bites. And I gave you a summer sound bite. It was that we need to seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all the things that we need he would give to us. I'm going to describe first for you what a soundbite is because that scripture taken out of context would lead to a completely different destination than what it was meant for. A soundbite is a snippet of text taken from a larger body of text or a narrative. The term was coined in the 1970s by the U.S. media. If you're like a factoid person, I, I have like random facts in the back of my brain somewhere in there. So uh, I, I thought that was an interesting fact. Any, anyone like those kind of random facts? Two, two, two of you? Awesome. Okay. That's cool. So what we said is, is in these summer sound bites, we're going to every single week examine a snippet of, snippet of text from the scripture to provide a greater context in order to discover the powerful truth that it holds. The problem with a sound bite, as described last week, which by the way, you can go back and watch this entire sermon on our YouTube channel. Uh, if you want the full context <laughs> of the message, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bullet point a few things because it's important for us to know this so that we can jump into what we're talking about today. The problem with the soundbite is they're taken out of context and they're easy to manipulate and to misinterpret because soundbites are put through the filter of your personal bias. Simply put. If there is a gap of information that's left out, you will and I will fill in that gap, but we'll fill it in with how we perceive things, not necessarily with the truth. What is a bias? A bias is the property of not being in balance. So what is the imbalance that we're talking about here? We talked last week, it's an imbalance of information, whether it's caused by a lack of information, a complete ignorance to it, or a complete disregard from information, because both happen. Both occur. But ultimately, when we don't have these key factors, it is going to result in a distorted outcome, a distorted result. We're going to have a distorted view of something. And we talked about how, how a bias will assert how I see something or how I see someone is correct based How I see something or someone, let me say it this way, leads me to believe that I am right based on how I see things. And so we hear language like, well, from my vantage point, well, the way that I see it is, here's my favorite, well, the reality of the situation. <laughs> oh. So how are we gonna overcome these bias? We talked last week that the solution is to make context king. How are we gonna make context king? Number one, we need to, last week we talked about, we're, gonna, we're going to dethrone bias by seeking the king to see like the king. And number two, we're gonna seek the king to think like the king. For the rest of this series, we are going to seek the king we're going to seek God because we want to see things the way that God sees them. And we're going to seek God because we want to think about things the way that God thinks about things. So today's summer soundbite, I told you to turn to Matthew 18, 20. Here is the summer soundbite for today. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. 
We're going to break this into two sections today. We're going to have what I'm going to call the breakdown. And in the breakdown, I'm going to give you context for what this scripture, the lead up to this scripture, I'm going to give you context so that we understand what the scripture actually means. And then we're going to talk about section two, the shakedown. The shakedown is where we've been shaken down by the enemy and we've been deceived and we've been lied to and we have a misunderstanding or we've been misrepresented, the scripture's been misrepresented. And we're going to reconcile this. So number one, we have to ask some key questions. When you want context, the first thing you do is ask questions. So in Matthew 18, 20, why was Jesus, Jesus is the one saying this. Why was Jesus saying this, that we're two or three gather? Why was he even, what led him to this point? Well, we have to go back to verse one. Verse one, what happens? The disciples come to Jesus and they want to know this key thing. Hey, bro, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You're a pretty awesome guy, Jesus, but we want to know what's in it for me, so who's going to be the greatest? Am I going to be the greatest? Like, is Peter going to be the greatest? Is Matthew going to be the greatest? Is John? John's like, everyone knows that I'm the greatest. Okay. So Jesus answers them simply by saying this. He says to them, Jesus called a little child to him and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as the little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I want to set the foundation for something today in saying this. This applies forever and ever and ever. Amen. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is completely opposite to the kingdom of this world and the kingdoms that we fight to establish in our own lives. My kingdom, your kingdom, is totally upside down compared to the kingdom of God. So what, what's happening? Disciples are the disciples actually in this story have, have pushed past, have pushed the children out of the way to come to Jesus, right? Like, get the kids out of the way. Who's gonna be the greatest, right? The disciples are the same dudes that if like someone came in and there was going to be something that was going to go down, they'd probably pick the kids up and go, there's children here, (laughs) you know, like, okay, anyway. (laughs) There was a little care for these children. So they pressed past the kids to ask what? About me. Because it's always about me. The kingdom of me is totally different than the kingdom of heaven. This is how it's upside down, okay? Okay. So let me describe to you, Jesus is saying, hey, as a child of God, you will have to, actually, here's some traits on these children that just got pushed past that Jesus wants to, to bring us into in 2021 even. It's relevant today. He said, he's saying this, hey, you're gonna have to exercise humble dependency on Jesus, on me. Who did the children come to? Jesus. Who called them? Jesus called them. They came to him. So as a child of God, we're going to have to exercise humble dependency on Jesus, his kingdom community. Now I'm just going to say for ease, church. This is what the church is. It's it's a kingdom community of the kingdom of heaven, which is going to be completely upside down. Okay. And these kids are going to possess a genuine lack of concern for social status. This is important. But here's the problem. Humanity has a tendency toward the opposite of what Jesus just described. Humanity has a tendency towards something called individualism. 
Let me describe individualism. It's the habit or principle of being independent and self-reliant. And we see this creep in even to even into humanity. We see this creep in even at the youngest of age. I'm, I'm, I'm on a hike with my family the other day. My two-year-old, we're walking down a narrow trail. It's dirty. My wife loves going on hikes. It stresses me out. When I have a two-year-old, that the signs are like, poison oak. And let me tell you, there's poison oak like right here and poison oak right here. And then you see a wonderful sign just to make you feel a little bit better as a parent walking with your small children, rattlesnakes. So here's my two-year-old, poison oak, poison oak, center. I know it's narrow, but it's the safest place to be. And where does she want to be? I'm like, hey, why don't you let dad help you? Quit being so self-reliant. I'm going to keep you away from danger. She looks at me. She goes, no. I do it myself. Isn't that us with God? How close? I mean, what is sin? How close to sin do I have to be to get poison sin all over me? And get bit by the rattle sin. I'm not actually in sin. I'm like, no, you're just rubbing up against it and getting it all over yourself. It will manifest at some point and blister you. You will get bit. Listen, we all deal with this. It's part of humanity, don't we? We all at times are like, nah, I got it. <laughs> No, you don't. Now, here, here's what's fascinating. I'm going I'm to take it a, a, another step. I'm going to make this really quick, okay? So forgive me. I'm going to try and give you context. There's a guy. His name is Geert Hofsted. He's a psychologist. He's Dutch. In the 60s and 70s, he was hired by IBM to do a study and figure out how to create more efficiencies within IBM because they were a worldwide company. Lots of cultural differences. And here's what he found. In fact, there's something now called the Hofstede dimensions that are used globally to this day, to this very day. One of the chief places that they use it is in the airline industry, to the matter of fact, to make sure airplanes don't crash. And here's what they found when they did this study. He did a study and figured out that this is simply what creates the tension when you're dealing with multiple cultures, is that you have some countries that live in high individualism and some countries that live in high collectivism. Can I give you... Wild guess, what country to this day scores the highest, ranks the highest in individualism, self-reliance? Nah, I got it. What country? Great old U.S. of A. Right? We got it. We're self-reliant. We can do it on our own. But it's bred, in, I want you to say, it's bred into our culture. So not only is individualism at play, but as Americans, it's really seated in our culture. It's seeded, in, it's seeded into how we grocery shop, how we get jobs, how we think, how we communicate with one another, how we relate to God, how we vote. It's rooted, individualism is a key component, it's a play. So let me now describe for you, as an American, sitting in the seat that you're sitting in, what this means, individualism, to our spiritual lives. It's a lack of dependence on Jesus and the interdependence on one another. 
as the church, as Christ's family. Interdependence is a reciprocal dependency, okay? Interdependence means, quite simply, I need you. But you need me. See, we need each other. And when individualism hits our faith, we say, no, I got it. We stop walking like a child in independence of Jesus, and we for sure are not going to live in a we-need-each-other reality. Can I tell you, based on Geert Hofstede's study, especially as Americans, and what we will do is create a dysfunctional church. This is so important. This idea is so important. Jesus says this, hey, I want you to become like a child so much. I want you to be dependent on me so much to such a great degree. And I want you to have such a high dependency on each other. This is what he says in Matthew 10. I'm just going to bullet point this really quickly. He gives two examples on how to deal with anything or anyone that steps in the way of a child becoming a follower of Jesus and being part of the family of Christ, being part of the church. This is what he says. Number one, if it's an individual who stops a child from living this way, dependent and interdependent. He says that that individual it would be better that they tie a millstone around their neck and they get dropped into the sea. He's pretty serious about you being dependent on him and us being dependent on one another. And then he takes it a step further and he says, listen, I'm gonna now give you an analogy. I'm gonna speak metaphorically and talk as if we're the body. You've heard maybe we're the body of Christ, okay? So he starts talking about the body. He said, hey, if there's any part of the body, if your hand is cutting in on you and stopping the rest of the body, stopping something in the body from being dependent on Jesus and interdependent on one another, you should cut that hand off. If it's your eye, you should remove that eye. It's better that you go into heaven with one hand missing than having both hands and going to hell. Then Jesus takes another step further. because I'm going to give you two examples of the lengths that I, I would go to and then I want you to go to to bring somebody back into a restored relationship with dependent on me and interdependent on one another. The first one is he gives this idea of sheep. He says, hey, if there's 100 sheep and there's 99 of them that are, that are, that are fully sold out to this and one of them walks away, you should go after the one. You should go after that one. The 99 are going to be okay. I'm not neglecting the 99. I am just so sold out on this one knowing that they were made to be dependent on me and dependent on each other. Then I'm going to go get that sheep and bring them back into the fold. Then he takes it a step further. He says, now I'm going to make it very practical and bring it home to you guys. He's talking to the disciples. I'm going to bring it home to you. I'm going to bring it home to the church. He says, if someone offends you, you should do everything possible to go to that person one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, this offended me. And give them the ability to confess and be restored. Not restored to you, but restored to Jesus and restored to the family. Let's not make it, it's not about me. It's not, I'm not going, I'm so offended. I'm going because the offense is the separator that says I'm self-reliant. The person that was committing the sin of offense is I, I don't need to be dependent on Jesus and I sure the heck don't need the church. Okay? And Jesus is like, you should do everything. In fact, if they don't listen, you should go get two or three. I want you to turn to somebody and say two or three. Turn, to, come on, I want you to say two or three. If you're making bacon at home in the kitchen, you just, I want you to yell at the kids in the other room and say two or three, two or three, okay? 
Keep that in mind, two or three. This is an important number, two or three. He says, then you should go get two or three. You should go get a couple people. You should come back to the person. If they don't confess, then you should go to the church. He's like, we should exhaust everything then and only then. If nothing works, then we start approaching verse 20 of Matthew 18. He says, I need you to get together anything you pray for and agree in my name. I'm going to give it to you. And then verse 20, here's where we finally land. Are you ready for this? For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, we have to ask some questions, don't we? Who are these two or three that are agreeing and gathering? Is it any two or three? Nope. It's two or three individuals who are part of the church. What is the purpose of them gathering? The purpose is to ask the Father in heaven to work on their behalf as they bring correction to the individual who is in sin. What is the sin? Or how is this person missing the mark? The sin that's being committed is the individuals refusing to depend on God and refusing to live in dependence with one another in the church. So what is Jesus' specific promise to the two or three that are gathering? He says, I'm going to be with you if you gather for the purpose of restoring this individual. So let me reread verse 20 in light of the context that I've given. For where two or three gather as my followers, acting as the overseers of this judicial matter before the church and for the service of the church and as the church, I, Jesus Christ, will be with them. Now, that's the breakdown. Here's the shakedown. This is the most widely used scripture and interpreted in this fashion that I have ever heard in all of scripture. This is the scripture. And this is what people will use it as. It's the most common excuse for not attending church. Here's the misinterpretation. Uh, I am the church. I don't need the church. And I don't need to attend the church. I carry the presence of God. So wherever I'm at, if I'm just with two or three people, we're having church. Because Jesus is with us. So we use this as an excuse for barbecue Baptist. And we say, well, I'm inviting my buddy over to have a barbecue and beer. And I just, I know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, you know Jesus. You know, you know Jesus. We all know Jesus is here. We're having church. We're having, we're having barbecue Baptist. We're having Jesus and some brewskis, and we're gathering together, and Jesus is with us, and so we're having church. I don't need to attend church. I don't even like church. I love Jesus. I just, I hate the church. Here's what, I've, here's what I've learned in my life. You don't need the church. 
until you need the church. See, the problem, the problem with individualism, it's rooted in self-reliance. It creates a disconnection. This is important. Okay, I want you to follow me in this. I'm, I'm going to get scientific. Is that okay? I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring some statistics in because <laughs> I love when science proves scripture. Rooted in self-reliance, individualism creates a disconnection from the overall church producing. Catch this. This is, this is, I promise you this is what it produces. This mentality, it produces isolation, loneliness, and higher instances of mental health issues. Why do I say that? There was a study done last year uh, by one of the greatest companies in existence, a guy named George Barna started. It's called Barna Group. And Barna did a poll because they wanted to see, because of the manifestation, uh, the massive amount of mental health issues that we saw in 2020. Massive, massive impact. Barna said, we actually want conclusive evidence and we want to know what the mental health was in relation to 2019 and 2020. Where were we? Did it get better or worse? So this is a very current study, okay? Now here are the categories that they, did, that, that, that they would give to you if you were taking the poll. They wanted to know your gender, your party identification. Not like, you know, party, political party, okay? So like Republican, Democrat, or Independent. Sorry, I was gonna go somewhere else with the party comment. Uh, religious service attendance. They wanna know, do you attend weekly, mm, semi, like kind of a month, or very seldom to never, okay? So there's three to that. The race, marital status, age group, and household income, all right? Now, here's what's fascinating to me. Every single category across the board took a nosedive in mental health. That should not surprise you based on what we've seen in 2020. And what we see, what the news talks about, right? If you, like, okay, we, we, we kind of know this. But here's what you may not know. There's one category that stood out. Can you guess what category actually saw an increase in mental health? Religious service attendance. Every category took a nosedive. But those who attended church, now I'm going to dive even deeper and be more specific because I want, I, I, I love clarity. I was like, well, how often? Like once in a while. <laughs> there was a 4% increase in mental health for every individual who attended church weekly. As soon as you move away from attending church weekly, you were like no one else and it took a dive, 16% decrease. The only category within religious service attendance that saw an increase in mental health were those who had a high frequency of staying in contact with Jesus and one another in the church. We may not want to hear this, but this is the truth. I'm just, and I'm just going to speak clearly. In Southern California, this goes against everything that we are. As Americans, we're highly individualistic. In Southern California, I will tell you that the average person attends church 1.3 times a month. 
And I, on a daily basis, overhear and have conversations with people that are chasing their mental health. I'm not a doctor. I'm a deliverer of the message of Jesus. And I want to deliver to you as a pastor. I'm not speaking medically. As a pastor, I'm speaking spiritually. The best thing that I can prescribe to you, step into church. Not infrequently, weekly. Weekly. Not weekly like a week attempt. Weekly, high frequency. So how are we going to press past individualism and enter into this dependence and interdependence? At the risk of sounding overly simplified here, I want you to step into attending. Now, I, I, I want to, the caveat to this is, I understand that we have an online campus and there are individuals who literally cannot make it here for a multitude of reasons. I am not, I'm not throwing shade on people who are gonna attend on our online campus. We have people from other countries, people from other states. We have people with medical conditions. We have a lot of issues. But there are a lot of people, dare I say, that love the isolation of watching online. And a lot of times they're the same people that struggle with loneliness and mental health potentially. I have to be truthful to you. I'm not saying online campus is bad. What I'm saying is motivation matters. And I know that when I read Matthew 18, 20, with this in mind now, we have better context. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. I know this, that Jesus Christ longs to partner with you in a dependent relationship. That he's died for you to have a dependent relationship on him, to be part, a part of the church. He's called you back to him and he's called you back to a church, back to a body. As, as a part, not a part. True, you are the church. You are. You're gonna hear me preach it. You're gonna hear me teach it. Why? Because you carry the presence of God. I gotta tell you, you're alive, baby. You aren't dead. You, what you carry changes things. What you carry changes things. But this isolated, I don't need church, all this mumbo jumbo, like we gotta stop this. We gotta step in. People tell me, I, 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 don't, I just don't know where I fit. Man, I got, you see these, like you can't see, you, you wanna see it here, I'm gonna help you. If you haven't seen my shoes, I'm gonna show you my shoe. Okay, I got stretchy jeans on and like, I'm old, oh. You can't see that shoe, that's a shoe, it's bright. Here's the funny thing, I went shoe shopping yesterday because I run a lot. 
as a triathlete, I run a lot. And, and me and my wife, we went, it was actually Friday, and I was like, I really like that shoe. It looks like it would fit me. So I bought this pair of Nikes, not these. I went and ran in them. I was like, these don't fit. You're not gonna find your fit if you sit on the outside of the church. You gotta put it on. You gotta step in it. You gotta walk in it. You gotta jog in it. You gotta run in it. You gotta feel the pain in it. You gotta deal with the mess of it. You gotta sweat in it. You gotta bleed in it. You gotta be broken in it. You gotta stand in it. You gotta move in it. It's time for us to step in. If I could get an amen, stand with me today. If you wanna step in, stand with me today. If you wanna step in, because it's time for us to get to step in, family. We were built for this. We were made for this. Why don't we close our eyes? I just want to release a blessing over us this morning. I want to motivate us. I want to inspire us, and I want to challenge us. Are you okay with that? Good. I'm going to do it anyway. I want you to get with God. Close your eyes. This week, I want you to get with God. I want you to ask this key question to God this week. God, would you show me where I am acting in self-reliance? God, where am I at on the scale of self-reliance with you? And also with the church. Here's, here's, what, here's what I want to activate. Commit to stepping in one time per week in attendance. You work on Sundays? All right, cool. Show up midweek. We got men's groups. We got women's groups. We got Bible study groups. You can't make it during the week? Cool. We got Sunday. No more excuses. Your life matters. The health of your life matters. And we have work to do. So Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that this church family, this little family, this little tiny tribe, this little community, that we would be audacious enough to let the fragrance of how we love you. Let the fragrance of, of, of how we're gonna be dependent on you. Let the fragrance of how we're gonna depend on one another move into our communities and fill the streets that people would be able to tell because of the fragrance of who we are, that something is different, that, that, you, that you don't smell suspect, dude. What's different about you? You're like, oh, because I, see, I'm like a kid. I'm like a child. See, I didn't just say the shoes didn't fit. I actually put them on and I'm learning to run in them and I'm figuring it out and I know where I fit. I know I belong. I'm feeling good about myself and I would love for you to experience the same thing. I want you to be dependent on the same Jesus. I want to call you into the same interdependence. If there's something holding you back today, we need to dismantle it. If there's something holding you back today, we need to tie the millstone around its neck and we need to toss it into the sea. If something is holding you back today, we need to say it's time to cut it off. Devil, you don't have any more time for deception. The shakedown is done. The breakthrough has come and we are ready for the breakdown and we are going to dismantle your shakedown. That is, that is the dream of who we are. That is what we're going to walk in. Can I get an amen? In Jesus' powerful name, all of us said together, amen and amen. Amen. We'll see you next week for another summer soundbite.